0: call myself a bit of an accidental futurist. I, I uh, but I, I love all things technology, and it provided a sort of um, home to take a look at how we could leverage technology and new mindsets to, to reshape healthcare, you know, around the planet. And Telemedicine was born around the idea of what if we could sort of three D print your own personalized poly pill, the Daniel pill, the Matthew pill, the Mary pill, which has your dose of, let's say, free blood pressure medicines, uh, your aspirin, your statin maybe your antidepressant, and could blend those eventually and print those at home to modify based on your blood pressure or modify your dose of blood thinner, where we bring together 800 people from 45 countries across every technology and field and patients and doctors and investors and pharma. Uh, and that's been a really magical melting pot to sort of touch the future. We usually have about 60 startups there. We had companies like Moderna there in 2015 when no one had heard of mRNA, for example don't wait for this future to arrive we already are in the future 2022 before we know it it will be 2032.
1: welcome to impulse the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare be they researchers doctors engineers or entrepreneurs we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise as well as the journey that took them where they are now So, hello, Daniel. Um, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show and accepting my invitation. I admit that I was not sure whether you would be able to. I would be able to get a response from you following the email that I had sent back in June after your closing keynotes at Bits and Pretzels Health Tech in Munich, which I had the chance to attend as part of my work and which I found truly fascinating. Um, I feel both extremely excited and quite nervous for our upcoming conversation. To be frank, your one of the most renowned ambassadors of digital health and to a larger extent of medical technology. I could probably spend the whole episode going through your professional background and the list of your achievements. Um, I would instead only mention some of the roles that you occupy as a physician, a researcher, an entrepreneur, an investor, an advisor, but also as a fighter jet pilot. To make it more authentic and as a way to kickstart our conversation, would you like to present yourself in your own words?
0: (laughs) Well, great to be with you. Um, I enjoyed being at Bits and Pretzels uh, this summer of 2022. Uh, it was great to be back in Europe. Um, my background is, I, I guess, sort of as a traditionally trained physician scientist. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. I got my start in science young in high school, doing some uh, work at the National Institutes of Health, and that got me interested in, in biomedical science. Um, my high school science for project did quite well. Actually, it became the basis of a drug called Zolaire, which is for treating allergies. Um, after Brown University f- and spending time doing research and learning to fly, I came out to Stanford for medical school. And Stanford was great because it's on the campus of a school with engineering and law and business and uh, lots of other things. So it was a great place to do medical school and also get involved <laughs> in other projects. I got involved in aero engineering and designing missions to Mars and was in a uh, stem cell research and, and beyond. Um, I, after I took a couple extra years of medical school actually to do research at NASA at NASA Ames and Johnson Space Center cause I've always liked flying in space. Um, mm-hmm. I also uh, did a Howard Hughes research uh, fellowship uh, looking at T cell immunology um and also spent uh, a little extra time uh trekking in nepal doing medical research <laughs> and uh <laughs> learning how to meditate um and, and doing my first startup i built the world's first online medical bookstore back in the go-go late 90s mm-hmm. um did my residency at mass general in boston children's in both internal medicine and pediatrics because why just pick one residency <laughs> and uh since after four years in boston um Uh, came back to Stanford for fellowships in hematology, oncology, and bone marrow transplant. And there kind of kept my hands in other things, including um, uh, getting more involved in digital health and putting in the first electronic medical records at Stanford and got into medical devices through Stanford Biodesign and kind of started exploring all the convergent areas impacting uh, health and medicine outside of traditional, uh, you know, being in a lab, even though I was doing uh, stem cell research uh, at the time as well. So, that was sort of my initial uh, path. Um, um, and, uh, around that time, about 12 years ago, I was asked to join the the founding faculty of Singularity university, which was an opportunity to sort of, uh, meet some incredible folks from all these different fields and sort of look at the future from the lenses of accelerating technologies. Um, so that got me on the path of being, I always call myself a bit of an accidental futurist. I, I, uh, but I I love all things technology and it, it provided a sort of, um, home to take a look at how we can leverage technology and new mindsets to, to reshape healthcare, you know, around the planet.
1: I see. Um, what, what drove you actually towards studying medicine and pursuing a career in the healthcare space? Was that something you, you had in mind already as a child, sort of like a dream you wanted to pursue early on in your life?
0: I think somewhere in junior high school, I had to do some other little science fair project. And I uh, was looking at the effect of cardiac drugs on these little nematodes under the microscope. And that seemed interesting. And then uh, spending that summer at the national, a couple summers at the National Institutes of Health in high school got me more interested in biomedical research. And so I had the idea I wanted to be a doctor, but didn't really know what that was entailing. And when I was an undergraduate at Brown, actually, um, the other world's maybe still the world's only first student run ambulance service. So I became an emergency medical technician, an EMT or paramedic yeah. type. Yeah. And so that gave you an experience as a, you know, 19, 20 year old to be driving an ambulance and taking care mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, often drunk students who twisted their ankle, right. but sometimes more serious medical issues. And, you know, it gave me an exposure to the idea that you could sort of mix medicine and science and, and sort of combine forces. So I think that's sort of how it came together. I wasn't I don't think at five year old. Fi- at five years old, I wanted to be yeah, a, a yeah. doctor. I think I wanted to be an astronaut then. But uh, but I always liked the idea of you know science and technology and doing things that could be you know helpful to others, um, while sort of um, always you know progressing.
1: I see, um, and. Does your passion for medical technology lie on its ability to cure people, as you mentioned, suffering from, let's say, a particular condition or eventually preventing the onset of a particular condition? Or does it lie on its ability to augment healthy individuals to live better lives, um, for example, increasing their physical performance? The reason I'm bringing up this question is that it seems that you have explored the two aspects. The first, through your clinical background and practice as a physician in pediatrics and medicine. The other by engaging in more extreme physical activities during the time where you were practicing aerospace medicine with F-15 and F-16 fighter squadrons, or going through the NASA astronaut selection process and eventually making it to the final round.
0: Well, I sure I think you know technology for technology's sake is is kind of fun. I'm, I'm I love gadgets. I love playing with mm-hmm. new toys. Um, and I think, you know, it's the blending of technologies with with solutions that gets interesting. Like how do you apply, you know, and connect the dots between, you know, sensors and robotics and AI and now web three and blockchain and augmented reality. So there's lots of little fun shiny objects. Um, but it, I think those of us involved in healthcare are lucky to sort of hopefully look at those as a lens to solving problems. Sometimes they're very small problems like mm-hmm. that are Based on you or your family members or your community, some of them might be around global health and tied to you know pollution and broader challenges around education and 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 vaccination. So um, I sort of uh, don't look at it through just a technology lens, but more a solutions lens. And you know, for the folks who are students today or clinicians of today you know, you don't need to wait for the future to arrive. There's lots of sometimes point solutions out there. Some of them might not be as advanced as we might want. Um, Many technologies are writing, you know, Moore's law, you know, they're getting uh, faster and cheaper and doubling in their uh, capabilities every couple of years. Um, But even though we can appreciate the, the acceleration of technologies, sometimes our brains don't work the same way that we don't see what's going to be possible in two, five, or 10 years on the exponential. But also mm-hmm. there's something called Amara's law where we so we sometimes look at a technology, we get very excited. We think, Oh my gosh, IBM Watson in two years, there will be AI doctors taking over everything that was 10, 12 years ago. So Amara's law was, is where we sometimes tend to overestimate what might, um, might be possible in one or two years, but underestimate mm-hmm. what might happen in a decade. And I think, you know, uh, I would argue IBM Watson was a little overhyped, and they spent more money on marketing than on on product. But now we're seeing, you know, ten years after uh, Watson beat uh, uh, the champions of Jeopardy, how AI is really starting to play a really fundamental role in everything from radiology and pathology and dermatology to to finding problems in, in, in hospitals early. So um, while well, we need to be sort of mindful of the technology's acceleration, we sort of need to see how that fits into. Sometimes the culture of medicine, which is a bit slower than other fields, right? Yeah, based on yeah. regulatory and reimbursement, uh, often mm-hmm. based on the mindset of many physicians, nurses, doctors, hospital administrations, biopharma, who are often thinking in sort of the old ways uh, and don't want to sort of break their old silos open to, to change things. So lots of challenges and lots of opportunities.
1: And picking up on that, so you seem to have embraced, you know, many different um, technological advancements quite early on. Um, Coming back from background as a as a physician, what was the perception from 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 other physicians? You know, when when they were seeing you coming up with all the devices you're wearing, and um, because I, as as you mentioned, like not all of them are um, you know keen to try out new things, or they would rather like stay to the way of working they they had before.
0: Right, I think. Um you know, it depends what era you're in. Um, you know, we've only had Fitbits for like 12 years, like or 13 years, I think they came out in 2009. So the era of wearables is relatively new. And, <laughs> you know, some very relatively advanced uh, quantified self patients for the last few years might be showing up in their doctor's office saying, hey, look at my steps and my sleep. Uh, that seemed to be quite novel uh, a few years back. Now we're starting to see with the change of incentives and the ability to prescribe apps and better workflow that you know, using a simple wearable from now a pretty complex Apple Watch or Fitbit or oral mm-hmm. ring that these can be potentially super useful in monitoring uh, disease uh, and maybe even preventing disease, seeing a change in a patient's baseline, maybe their resting heart rate or their heart rate variability or their respiratory rates over time. Mm-hmm. Or very useful in optimizing wellness, maybe by tweaking sleep and exercise, or managing you know common diseases, uh, everything from diabetes to hypertension to to mental health challenges. So um, yes, you know early on the, there weren't often a lot of early adopters. I think we're now seeing a bit of the shift, particularly in this new realm of often you know mobile connected digital health, mm-hmm. where clinicians are starting to be used to. Are you starting to unlock the ability to prescribe an app or use a connected blood pressure cuff or an app for helping manage mental health or beyond?
1: Mm-hmm. I see. And I mean, you mentioned a lot of different technologies. Um, which are the ones currently that, from your point of view, are having the most impact on patients and healthcare systems? And which will most likely have the highest impact in the future? If you could share your thoughts on that.
0: That's a great question. I mean, there's no one technology that's going to move things. Obviously we have some very exciting fast moving technologies like CRISPR. You know, we're going to start curing some genetic diseases before the patient ever gets sick. You know, that's Mm -hmm. super exciting. We have uh, a lot of interesting work in the world of stem cells and regenerative medicine. We saw earlier this year, the first xenograft uh, pig transplant from a pig to a human with a humanized heart, which is still early days, but that's going to be transformative. But if I was to come down to like, how do we really shift health and medicine around the planet? It's, um, first of all, by practicing more health care, not sick care, where we are much more proactive with our our health and not, you know, rewarding the sick care model and and for treating disease, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be more along the lines of, I think, you know, the most exciting part, I think, that I see is the ability now to take all these new forms of data from your connected home, your connected ring, your voice on your phone, the camera that picks up your vital signs, you know, despite all the privacy issues. uh, And from our now stack of omics, your genome, your proteome, your metabolome, your sociome, uh, your microbiome, and to start to really make sense of that in a proactive contextual way. Uh, Often that's summarized by this idea of the digital twin where we're gonna start to simulate the physiology and the health of Mm -hmm. of each of us and our our families and our patients uh, and use that information to be much more precise about what's going to be better to prevent disease. You know, maybe we know someone's base genome and their polygenic risk scores and from their wearables their behaviors and, st- and can start to be much more proactive and not wait for the stage three disease to present uh it's going to be uh, you know taking data from thousands or millions of, of patients or procedures and kind of building the the ways of the google maps of health where we're seeing what's worked and what's not worked for patients like me or patients like mine uh or yeah. upskilling surgeons to to take the data and insights from thousands and thousands of surgeries and give them real-time guidance just like we have you know uh, our Google maps tell us turn by turn and we don't get as lost as we might've been used to. Sometimes we yeah. might lose something in that cause we, our brains are now, you know, over dependent on some technology, but we sometimes will get places faster and sooner and avoid the traffic jams. So I think it's the, the challenge and the opportunity today is to take all these new forms of data and turn them into not data. Cause no doctor or even human or consumer wants raw want data. We want the insights. What does this mean about my sleep or my health? my disease? And how do we turn those insights into something that's actionable, you know, at the bedside of the website and not wait the traditional 10 plus years for something to be discovered and published and to be useful? So to narrow that gap between yeah. insights to data to actionable knowledge, you know, across the whole care continuum.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it seems sometimes that like the technology called advancements, like move at a pace that, as you mentioned, the medical side um, doesn't really follow. Um, so, you, I mean, we've probably uh, seen it from 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 the words you mentioned already. But you're a very very fervent ambassador of digital health, and we live nowadays in an era uh, where most of us in developed countries are surrounded by all kinds of connected digital devices, starting with smartphones, smartwatches, connected glasses, other wearables, um, you name them, which are already extensively used to track many different health-related parameters. Um, I find some. I sometimes find it quite overwhelming, to be honest. So I'd be curious to hear about how do you see the the advances in digital health tying into that? Are we heading in a direction where we'd be surrounded by even more devices to track our health status uh, than available now, thus reinforcing the current situation, or will it evolve more in the background in a more discreet manner?
0: Well, I think it's not about just devices and "quote unquote" digital. I mean. I'll often say and many others have as well, that we won't call it digital or mobile or connected health. We'll just soon call it health because almost every component of healthcare is going to have a bit of a digital layer, meaning it's not just siloed and it has some sort of data and insight stream and hopefully crowdsourced knowledge base. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, not always resistance, but these don't often play very well in the, in the workflow of a clinician, a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, uh, a physical therapist. Um and so the key part often is is connecting the dots between the technology, which might involve an app or a sensor, the data flow, the insights, how that fits into the day to day care of the clinician and the patient, so they can communicate that the doctor doesn't need to log into my five different wearable devices and five different apps. So there's a lot of fragmented, pretty brilliant point solutions out there. And I think the next few years we'll start to see more consolidation um, and make it easier to sort of prescribe and use and leverage some of these solutions. So. As one example, I mean, I always like to think about technology solving problems. The pain point I've had, and maybe many of you and your listeners, is there's a lot of digital health solutions out there, and we're still in the early innings of digital health, really, really. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to know, you know, what might be a good app for mental health, or one to help manage cardiovascular disease, or to help run a practice, or to, um, you know, almost every element of, of care. So. I recently launched a platform called digital.health. That's the website, digital.health, easy to remember. And <laughs> it has several elements. It's a bit of a resource platform, including what's happening in regulatory and news and uh, academics and journals, and uh, we're adding a job board. But its core te- core fundamental piece is a, is a pretty robust database that's been growing to over 1,600 companies and solutions uh, from every condition you might imagine, from atrial fibrillation to diabetes to heart disease you know common elements to more rare rare elements um and it's not just for quote-unquote medical doctors but for nursing and physical therapy and mental health and so if you go to digital.health and you search uh and you can search by things that are diagnostic or therapeutic or enterprise uh, you'll see the company you'll see the product a bit about uh its tech stack uh maybe some of its evidence base maybe a video you can save that in your own digital health formulary because you might want to have your set of your own favorites and i can also make a uh, a prescription, a Matthew prescription, like you have a patient where you, let's say you have diabetes, hypertension, and, and anxiety. I might put in my little prescription uh, bag, uh, yep. a live core to manage your cardiac risk, uh, a, a mental health app for me- helping you meditate and, um, and uh, uh, wearable to track your blood pressure, for example. Um, and then you receive that and you could order that through Amazon or, or download the app ideally the future will be that this is going to know what healthcare system you're in, whether you're in Kaiser or NHS or in a German system, and it will help pay for those solutions. And we'll also integrate that into the, into the electronic medical record or health record of where you are locally. Um, so it's early innings, but that's part of what I'm building to sort of enable the digital health ecosystem. So that if you have a solution, that's not on the database, go to digital.health and add your company and your solution. And if you're looking for, "Quote unquote digital solutions, whether it's a digital therapeutic, or a wearable, or an app, or an enterprise uh, software plan to manage your scheduling of your hospital. Um, yeah. Take a look. There's, there's a lot of surprising solutions out there, and it's it's impressive how far many of them have come over the last few years.
1: Yeah, I, I will add the, the the links in the description for sure. Um, I was about to ask you, do you is there like an, an evaluation element like for every product that's out there? Do you do like a sort of assessment? Horror.
0: Yeah, we have uh, the early stages of, of sort of rating a, you know, it's, it's really hard to rate an app or a wearable yeah. or a software as a medical device. Um, you know, we're starting off with letting folks just, you know, put in a one to five scale and some comments. And ideally, we're going to have the cardiac solutions evaluated by a panel of board certified cardiologists, etc. And
1: mm-hmm. we're going to
0: mature that component. Um, also it might be feedback from patients, right? You know, you know, the power of a digital solution isn't just you know how it did in clinical trials, but it's user interface, it's price, uh, um, other um, design elements. So I think as we go forward, we want to see what the real world evidence is about what's being used and what kind of outcomes it might drive. And I think there's an opportunity to sort of crowdsource some of that knowledge and wisdom um, and build your own sort of personalized formulary that matches you or ideally on digital.health it'll start to even suggest some of the best solutions given a patient's set of parameters, their age, their culture, their language. Their insurance plan, uh, their conditions, um, just like when we pick an antibiotic, you want to know the, the sensitivities to the to the bacteria, uh, and maybe what location you're in, or the yeah. allergies of the patient. So, we want to get to precision digital health, not just you know one size fits all. And I think that's a bit of the the, the, the future vision. But ratings um, are, are challenging, but I think will be increasingly part of that equation.
1: Mm-hmm. I see. um So, yeah, on top of the elements from a background that we already mentioned, your a prolific entrepreneur having founded several companies in the field of medical devices and in digital health. Um, we covered uh, one with this new platform that you founded, um, but I was also wondering whether you could share with us about two others um, in particular, namely Medicine and Med systems. Um, for each of them, could you explain us what is the unmet need that is targeted and what the underlying technology consists in?
0: Sure. Well, I'll start with Regen Med Systems, which um, started when I was a bone marrow transplant fellow at Stanford. And it was the very first year of the Stanford Biodesign program. And Stanford Biodesign uh, is a pretty incredible program now. have been going for almost, I think, 20 years, yeah. which is focused on you know bringing together doctors, engineers, lawyers, business folks you know, uh, on the campus of Stanford. But now there's pro- platforms in India and around the world where you find pain points. What's a, what's a problem you're seeing in the clinic or in the outpatient world or the mm-hmm. operating room? And so the first part of the biodesign program for people who go through the year-long fellowship or other classes is to find a problem and understand that problem really well from the perspective of the patient, the the nurse, the, the pharmacist, the payer, et cetera. Um, and then to quickly iterate and solve for it, and get it out into the world so the problem i was seeing as a bone marrow transplant fellow was harvesting bone marrow it's been you know a couple hours a week harvesting bone marrow from donors usually a volunteer you would go to yeah. the operating room with two two doctors and a whole anesthesia team you put the patient under anesthesia lie them on their belly and use a big trocar big needle and and aspirate uh about a liter of bone marrow about 100 punctures about 10 milliliters per pull to get enough bone marrow with the stem cells we use for bone marrow transplantation i thought wow this is really archaic and slow and takes general anesthesia and, you know, sometimes has complications. Um, and so yeah. I was auditing biodesign and I thought, wow, what if we can invent a device I called the marrow miner. I've got one here. You can't see it, but it's a little flexible rotating shaft <laughs> that has a special tip with three holes in it. And so you can enter the bone marrow just once and drive on a road with a rotating powered shaft, what we call the flex shaft into the bone marrow cavity. It follows the contours of the curved iliac bone and allows you to yeah. do a whole bone marrow harvest in, you know, 10 minutes as opposed to an hour and get more cells with more concentration and make it faster, better, cheaper, easier. So that's an example of iterating on a medical device. And so I got a couple small grants, tried out some prototypes in pigs, eventually got through clinical trials and FDA clearance and, uh, and CE mark as well. So if you go to uh, marrowminer.com or regenmensystems.com you can see a TED talk I have on that and, 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 de- and recent p- paper we published on how it works better than the old fashioned way. So that's an example of finding a a problem, even though I'm not an engineer, I have some engineering genes and and solving (laughs) for that with a medical device. Um, So that was an example of finding a problem and solving for it. And now we're taking that technology to bone marrow transplantation, to regenerative medicine, possibly even modifying the technology to deliver genes into the bone marrow to cure diseases like sickle cell or maybe even HIV. So that's been an interesting journey. So Mm -hmm. um, there's great lessons from Stanford Biodesign, uh, which are worth learning for anybody. And part of that is about finding a problem, really understanding it from many angles and finding who to collaborate with to solve it. Because obviously all medical innovation is a, is a team sport. Um, yeah. The other company is newer called IntelliMedicine, and that addresses the pain point, two pain points. One, a lot of particularly older patients take a lot of medications, polypharmacy. The average 70-year-old takes seven yeah. or more pills a day. It also addresses the issue of um. And so adherence or compliance is often low. Patients don't often take their medicines very well. And often they're not the right dose. You know, the the 110-pound grandma is taking the same dose of a statin or beta blocker as a, you know, 200 or 300-pound uh, uh, rugby player. And so and telemedicine was born around the idea of what if we could sort of 3D print your own personalized polypill, the Daniel pill, the Matthew pill, the Mary pill, which has your dose of... Let's say three blood pressure medicines, uh, your aspirin, your statin, maybe your antidepressant and could blend those eventually and print those at home to modify based on your blood pressure or modify your dose of blood thinner based on your INR or your weight might be changing. If you're a cardiac patient, you might need a different dose of uh, Lasix, a diuretic. So um, that's an exciting project that we're embarking on to sort of eventually bring the personalized pill printer to your home and print, modify print as was necessary to treat you know, mostly chronic diseases, but you could also imagine a personalized longevity pill with your cocktail of rapamycin or metformin or other drugs that uh, might in the end help stop or reverse aging. So many applications there.
1: And um, yeah, first, I would encourage people to to look at the TED conference that you made on that particular topic, because you actually showed the machine um, or the prototype and people can realize how it works. Um, I was about to ask you at what stage this technology is exactly. Um
0: yeah, well, um, we built a bunch of prototype technologies. The the big patents are just starting to issue. It takes a long time to do intellectual property, and yeah. now we're uh, growing out our team. And uh, you know, a little had a little pause during the pandemic, uh, but now we're going to start going big guns. So if anyone's interested in joining the team on that effort, um, track me down through Intellamedicine and you can learn more about the technology and the approach. But I think in a sense, it kind of combines this new world of not just printing the pill, but We also call the upfront component Intel MD. How do you pick the right drugs and combinations for your patient? Today's often one size fits all. We could be using a patient's genes, their pharmacogenetics, their wearable data, because soon our smartwatches will do blood sugar and blood pressure, or if they have Parkinson's, their tremor, or other sort of digital and other biomarkers to really sort of have a real-time sensing mechanism that then in some cases will impact what medication or what meditation you might be uh, needing. So I think we can sort of really move to this era from often one-size-fits-all dosing and combinations, which sometimes lead to bad outcomes and and adverse drug events, to one that's much smarter and much more personalized and can really blend the right combination of medications for you. Um, So um, hopefully anyone who's interested can can find me on on that one.
1: All right. Um, I imagine that um, you're not short of ideas for other and future entrepreneur projects in healthcare. Could you share with us some of the Pain points or the topics that you might want to address in the future, and and
0: why? I think it's a it's a super exciting time for healthcare entrepreneurship. I mean, when I was a medical student and I was doing this online medical bookstore, people looked like I had you know a third eye. No one had. it, was, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't the zeitgeist or the sort of culture of clinicians, doctors uh, innovating in the, in the same sort of way. Now every every medical student might be doing a startup in their dorm room or on their laptop, which is which is terrific because particularly when you're a student or early in your training, you have a bit of beginner's mind. You see a problem, you go, whoa, why are we doing it this way? Why why not solve it with, uh, you know, uh, blockchain and Web3 and a wearable and a, a DAO? You know, you can think of all the, and, you know, a TikTok component. <laughs> um, so, a TikTok. Um, so there's lots of problems to solve. I see a lot of new innovation often also coming from people outside of healthcare. They may have been AI experts or video gamers or folks who had built platforms for other, uh, industries. Um, I have a new venture fund called continuum health ventures. It's a new seed stage venture fund. Uh, and we've, uh, recently launched, we've done five investments, um, usually about half a million dollars or so, but it's, uh, I think I would say half of the companies we've invested in have come from folks out of traditional healthcare and yeah. many of the companies we see their are impactful there. So a lot of folks are solving solutions, uh, solving for problems. Um, one other area that I think is, uh, Uh, particularly interesting is you know this world of augmented virtual and extended reality that's going to change how we learn uh, how we keep educated as as clinicians how we educate our patients um, and even as a therapeutic modality so that's one area i see a lot of interesting activity in Um, but what's exciting for me is like no one field i think it's when you again mix up (laughs) the ar vr 3d printing nanotech genomics blockchain people um for the last 10 years i've run a i've been the, the 12 years now, I guess, or more. I've been the chair of medicine for Singularity University, and I founded and ran a conference called Exponential Medicine, which we've had in San Diego, um, most falls for 10 years, where we bring together 800 people from 45 countries across every technology and field and patients and doctors and investors and pharma. Uh, And that's been a really magical melting pot to sort of touch the future. We usually have about 60 startups there. We had companies like Moderna there in 2015 when no one had heard of mRNA, for example. A lot of folks from Europe. We've had Tony Young, the head of innovation from NHS, come that helped him start his young entrepreneurs or uh, NHS clinician entrepreneurs program. So, a little bit of an announcement for your audiences: We're rebooting and rebranding Exponential Medicine. It's going to be called Next Med Health. Next Med. What's coming Med now, near and next in healthcare. So, if you go to nextmed.health, you can uh, sign up to learn more. We'll be having that March 13th to 16th in San Diego, kind of. Like exponential medicine on steroids, we're not just going to be a once a year confer- conference. We're going to be a bit more of a community and innovation platform on top of our annual program. So, that's a great place, an example to sort of see uh, and cross fertilize and, and get inspired to help create a better future healthcare for all of us.
1: I see. And could you detail a bit about the the program, uh, the programs that you that you guys run as part of the Singularity University?
0: Well, this one is going to be now uh, grown out of Singularity University. Singularity University, you know, is is evolved in different ways post pandemic, but uh, yeah. but kind of the key thing we like to do with now what's next Med Health is you know get people up to speed. You know, a little bit of a one on one. What's happening in digital manufacturing and three and, and AI and nanotech and blockchain and CRISPR and synthetic biology. So, kind of get people number one, you know, outside of their field up up to speed with what's cutting edge. Yeah. Uh, number two, kind of cover sessions that are around, you know, the convergence of digital health and mental health, for example, or um, what's been happening in uh, the future of pandemic response. Obviously, we've all lived or still living through this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, one of my hats is chairing the XPRIZE Pandemic uh, Health, Pandemic XPRIZE Pandemic and Health Alliance. We started out just focusing on the pandemic. Now we're focused on health and the pandemic. And solving for challenges, whether it's PPE or testing or uh, therapeutics. Um, and that's a bit of a convergence of, again, 100-plus organizations solving for today's and future problems. So next Med Health is really about uh, breaking open silos and cross-fertilizing and often forming new partnerships and ideas and, and seeing something early, like mRNA or next-generation augmented reality or uh, what's happening with um, – you know, digital manufacturing, and how might that impact the future of the hospital or the operating room, or what's possible uh, in remote uh, regions? Um, so um, that's, I think, that's what's most interesting about the future of healthcare. Is it's being built from the the not just technology stacks, but new emerging solutions and new mindsets and and new players. You know, new new components. You're not just seeing it from doctors and pharmacists and medical device people. It's really kind of a a really accelerating health age. Partly catalyzed by the pandemic.
1: I see. When when we look at your professional path and journey, and you touched on some of the elements of it, we can only be impressed by the number of projects and activities you have carried out and continue to carry out in parallel. Where does all your energy to drive all of this come from, and how do you organize yourself to stay on top of things while maintaining, hopefully, a healthy lifestyle?
0: <laughs> uh, great question. Um, coffee number one, and there's new evidence. <laughs> two or three cups of coffee for you a day are good for your brain and for your heart. Um, um, I'm not always the most organized. You can ask my wife (laughs) about that. Um, it's often, you know, just like anything else that things are a team sport, you need to bring in folks to help you and, um, build things. And that's one of the lessons I've learned is, is to try and not try and do it all yourself make sure you sort of build good teams around what you're doing and you'll move Farther, or faster than if you're trying to do it solo. It's a, a lesson for all of us that I'm always learning, um, and um, and you know, kind of for me, the fun is is sort of you know being in different fields and helping bring them together a, a little bit, and, and and seeing things early, and hopefully helping entrepreneurs and clinicians and healthcare systems um, see the art of the possible. Because a lot of Again, a lot of what the future medicine is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. There's a lot of possibility in some places it's already happening. You know, we're seeing, as we saw in Germany, like not perfect platforms like Diga for prescribing yeah. medical mm-hmm. apps. You've got other solutions that are doing well in the NHS and others in the U.S. and a lot of technology out of Israel and of Asia. So it's not about any one place. Sometimes we can learn from each other and, and combine forces. And by the way, we need to bring the regulators with us and the insurance yeah, companies because definitely- – Mm-hmm. you know, technology and it by itself doesn't solve the problem. It needs to be aligned with all the other components um, that, that help move the needle forward.
1: I see. Well, thanks a lot. Um, I mean, we've covered a lot of elements, and um, I'll put all the links um, in the description of, um, you know, everything we've talked about, um, and I'm a bit conscious of time. Um, so at the end of the episode, um, I ask a couple of recurring questions to every guest um and the first one i would have for you would be um, what resources would you recommend us to check out in order to know more about the field in which we evolve paid books publications websites outside of the ones we've already mentioned
0: yeah i get the question a lot how do you keep track of all these different fields and it's it's a bit of an impossible <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. journey. <laughs> Um, I, every week or so I try and put out a, a future of health and medicine newsletter where I at least take the things I'm seeing and try and put them into categories, you know, in genomics and AI and digital health, et cetera. So if you go to my website, danielcraftmd.net and you sign up mm-hmm. for the newsletter, you'll every week or two get a little, um, primer, at least on what I'm seeing. So that's one way of synthesizing Uh, that. I I also track and follow lots of folks on Twitter and that's a good place to see things from different divergent angles. Um, So, you know, there's, there's no one home to all of healthcare innovation. Um, uh, If you come to, if you go to YouTube and you look under exponential medicine, you can see some talks from the past, which has some great synthesis of what's cutting edge and what's coming next. And, and also go to nextmed.health. We'll be again, building a whole platform for healthcare innovation and, and learning from, from patients and physicians and innovators of, of all types in different fields. Um, where else would I say to go? Uh, th- those are, those are a few off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> I would, I would encourage everybody to, you know, look at your own organization or your school or your company <laughs> and, and, build a little program where you cross fertilize. Maybe it's uh, once a month you bring in a lunch lecture from a different field and you learn from, I don't know, aviation, which has lots of lessons from, from healthcare or uh, you know, if uh, you might bring someone who's been doing good video gaming and looking about the gamification of, of healthcare. You might, yeah. uh, you know, just bring from someone from outside of your normal sphere it might be a different clinical specialty and learn what's happening in, you know, digital mental health and how that, well, that might apply to the operating room. It's always surprising <laughs> And that's where sometimes the most fun occurs when you you learn from others who are also involved in healthcare, but doing things in different ways and in different fields. And, and I still often see many companies, big pharma, for example, still structured in the ways they were in the 1990s. And we're now in the age where you can be an exponential company, you need to be an exponential type company to, to succeed and, to, and didn't disrupt and um, the way you structure things and align or misalign incentives um, can really make a difference on your impact.
1: I see. Could you share with us an anecdote from your work which made you realize the impact you were having on patients' lives?
0: An anecdote? Uh, oh, boy. Probably um, many. <laughs> uh, Well, I mean, again, for, for a, a decade or so, I've, I've done this exponential medicine conference, now next Um And I often hear from people I may not have even met at the conference who came there and said, oh, my God, my life was transformed. I met my new startup partner Uh, my company got funded i came home and wrote three patents and started a company so sometimes it's just the um so it's not a single anecdote there's been lots of little anecdotes but if people have had their sort of aperture uh and their minds opened to Mm -hmm. um the art of the possible what's already happening now get a bit of a taste of what's happening in the future and sort of um build on that vision and it might not take one or two years it might take a decade but then you see the impact of that i'll give you one small example actually an anecdote One of the students in our very first summer of Singularity University's global solutions program was the chief technology officer for Shimon Perez at the time, the president or prime minister of of Israel. His name is Yonatan Adiri and he was not a healthcare guy, but he looked at the power of exponential technologies and got interested in healthcare. And one of them he looked at was the camera on your smartphone, which 10 years ago was not that great, but now is really pretty incredible in terms of what it can do. I don't carry a big camera with anymore. Anyway, he had the vision to say, how can we use the, smart con- camera for diagnostics. And to jump forward, um, he's now built a company called healthy.io. I'm yeah. on their board, actually. But now mm-hmm. they're able to take your smartphone camera and use it for urinalysis. You can dip your urine dipstick, take a picture with any cell phone camera under any lighting and get an FDA quality urinalysis, which can be used for tracking urinary tract infections and in pregnant women, preeclampsia, or their big market is detecting protein in urine for folks who have mm-hmm hypertension, diabetes, and finding that disease early when you make a big difference. They also can use their other platform for looking at wound care. So that's a great example of an entrepreneur and a technologist seeing not just where technology was with a smartphone of 2010, but where it's going to be in 2020 and 2030 and think about how we might leverage that to address some big challenges and kind of do the kind of the idea of this medical selfie. And that sort of example of exponential technology, meeting entrepreneur, meeting mindset, and meeting, you know, a a good business mind and, and team as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, and um, I mean this home testing field. I think it's also very, very booming following the the pandemic. We've we've been. Yeah, through. I mean the
0: pandemic, for all its challenges, uh, has stimulated obviously new forms of telehealth. Everyone's now done their first uh, home diagnostic. We're much more a little bit mindful about hopefully public health. We've seen the acceleration of crowdsourced clinical trials and mRNA, by the way, which is a game changer for making yeah. you know certain vaccines is also being evolved for vaccines for cancer and Alzheimer's and even high cholesterol. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that will hopefully be accelerated from the pandemic. We need to sort of keep some of that urgency that the fact that we can innovate faster, we don't need to practice incremental medicine, we can practice exponential medicine. And, and COVID has been a bit of a, a lesson in, in the art of the possible.
1: I see. Um, who would you suggest as a potential future guest for the podcast and why?
0: A great uh, potential guest out of Europe. You might talk to Shafi Ahmed. He's sort of a great uh, visionary in the future of surgery and digital surgery and ed- education. He's okay. done some great work on the first live virtual v- in virtual reality surgery. I was in the operating with him six years ago. Wow. He 5,000 students watching the surgery on Google Cardboard, right? Now you can have Oculus Quest. And uh, <laughs> he's a good example of thinking differently about surgical education. There's a huge shortage of uh, surgeons and other surgical specialties around the world and uh, you know a third th- five billion folks don't have access to regular surgery so that's yeah. one another guest out of uh, i would suggest is dr brennan spiegel he's a gastroenterologist at cedars-sinai and has been a real pioneer in augmented virtual and extended reality particularly using virtual reality in the hospital to help take patients and manage their pain or uh leveraging it in certain therapeutics and education so uh, he he runs a conference on on virtual medicine. So those are kind of two, those are two 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 examples. And then I'd also <laughs> no Sorry, the, the technology beeps at me. First we had the the lawnmower next door going. Now we have uh, the beeping <laughs> computer. Um, I'd say uh, another one. I was to think people outside of oof <laughs> the beeps are here. I would, I'm really being notified, aren't I? Uh, (laughs) I I would say uh, that's one of the challenges of today's world. We get overstimulated. I would encourage all of us (laughs) to unplug and practice mindfulness meditation where you turn off your alerts. (laughs) That's good for your health. Um, I would take someone like Shauna Butler, who is a nurse economist that I worked with for years, you know, thinking about the, the, the power of the nurse and others who are not, you know, quote, clinicians, as well as some of the bigger societal elements that she's dealt with. Uh, as a nurse and in changing policy and to providing vaccines and to you know new forms of, of cross-connecting specialties. So those are three I would say off the top of my head.
1: Do you think you could put, put me in contact with them? Yeah, ways? absolutely. That would be great. Um, how can we get in touch with you over LinkedIn, per email? You mentioned your website as well.
0: Yeah, if you go to danielcraftmd.net, my Twitter handle is there, which is at daniel underscore craft, K R F T. also a link to my LinkedIn Um, those are probably the best ways Uh, sign up on on nextmed.health to get informed about our new conference in March 13th and 16th at the hotel Del Coronado in San Diego. Um, And those would be the best ways to to reach me and and happy to connect with folks. And and again, hopefully connect dots and and point people to what's cutting edge. I also go again to to digital.health as a place to find existing digital health solutions, add the ones that you might be building Um, There's also a community element there where we'll be adding more ability to discuss and communicate around um, digital health. Um, And so um, we'd love help on building those communities and platforms.
1: Great. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? I would
0: say uh, one thing to add is, you know, don't wait for this future to arrive. We already are in the future 2022 before we know it will be 2032. Um, I think a lot of, Folks who are in medicine, you know, they didn't get trained in electrical engineering and they can't build an app or, you know, uh, don't know how to, uh, you know, leverage blockchain and clinical trials. I think the, the power of, of folks who are in medicine taking care of patients is they day-to-day see the problems. You know, there's, you know, so many things that are still done in backwards ways or could be done much better, not just with the technologies today, the, the technologies of the future. So if you have an idea put it in your notebook. Often when you're a medical student or early in your training, you have a beginner's mind. Save those ideas and find a, a collaboration of folks to say, how can we solve for this? Maybe build a mm-hmm. basic prototype as an app or 3D print a little element and try it out on a, a benchtop model. So you know, try things out early and don't be afraid to innovate and fail. That's how things move forward and not every startup succeeds. I think there's a lot more uh, compared to US to Europe, a little more a celebration of failure in the United States than in Europe. So a little bit of, you know, the startup mentality can, can <laughs> grow in, in, in other markets uh, and, and and start to build or find solutions that might already exist and bring them into your practice. As I said, on digital.health, there's 1600 plus solutions. You don't need to build another one if it already exists or you can help improve upon it. So you can get inspired by what's already out there and then help uh, improve that or, or build out um, solutions for areas that are, are needing um,
1: improvement. Great. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for joining. Um, It's been a fascinating conversation. And yeah, thank you so much for, for your time and your contribution. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions or suggest potential guests. Thanks and see you in the next one.